Happy Monday and welcome everyone to the first ever edition of Key Takeaways or Monday Musings or really whatever we're going to call this show moving forward. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Austin Nace, uh, one of the uh, founders here at Campus Canton. You can hear my voice on the Campus Life podcast uh, and Debbie Debate as well. Thank you guys. First off, we start, I start off all these episodes just thanking you, our NIL and all 22 members for just being so great and for uh, taking the plunge here with us and allowing us uh, to hopefully help you uh, win some of your C2C, CFF, Debbie, et cetera, leagues this year. Um, this show is going to be a, a show that kind of goes with an article that, that I'm writing every single week. It's called Key Takeaways Week, whatever it is this this, this week, obviously, Key Takeaways Week 1, uh, where I sit down. I watched uh, either live or recorded and went back and watched, I believe, 22 of the games this week uh, and then have a, a pretty good feel for several of the other ones as well. Basically, what I'm doing is giving you guys 8 to 10 every single week of the kind of key points that I think are things that I'm honing in on as I'm making decisions uh, from that week. Some of those takeaways are going to be the same every single week. For instance, uh, topic number one is always going to be target leaders uh, in the article and on the show uh, where we look at target leaders from that specific week. Because uh, I think, you know, looking at volume and how that's kind of shifting over the course of the season for receivers can be extremely helpful, especially kind of those guys that start breaking out weeks four, five and six. Uh, you don't want to miss out on those guys, uh, especially in limited waiver leagues. Uh, there's always going to be a freshman snap count where we're going to look at just freshmen, how they're doing week in, week out. If any names are starting to stand out or fade, there's always going to be a pace of play uh, slash volume is king section where it's just teams that ran a lot of plays because obviously volume is king in college fantasy and really any fantasy football. Uh, and then the rest will just be uh, musings from the game. So without further ado, I'm going to try to keep this a short show. It is just me. So apologize uh, for that for anybody who just really hates my voice. Uh, but just me on this one. Let's hop right in here and hit on some of these. And some of this information is not going to be in the article, by the way. I'm going to expand on a lot of things because obviously I can't. I, I could write a 20 uh, page article essentially every week, uh, but not going to do that. So away we go. Week one target leaders, as I mentioned, is always going to be our leadoff point here. And I think... I think overall, this is actually kind of a list that I would have expected coming into the week. Maybe a couple of names uh, missing that we might see later in the season. But with a high-scoring week across college football, there there was definitely some guys getting some targets this week. Number one, our, our, our target king this week is Sam Pinckney at Coastal Carolina. I think that's really interesting. Uh, quite frankly, he had 18 targets on 43 total team attempts, so just over 40% uh, of the targets there. Uh, I'm curious to see if Coastal was passing a little more in this game because they were down the whole game to UCLA or if that's going to be a concerted effort to pass a little bit more this year than they traditionally have. New coach, new offense coordinator. That's going to be one to watch. I think if I can actually go and get Sam Pinckney if he's on waivers or if I can buy him this week as maybe a throw-in and another deal or something like that, I think I'm doing that because I, I don't know that he's going to get 18 targets every week. And obviously, he had almost 150 yards uh, and a touchdown this week as well. I don't know if he's going to do that every single week. But if this is not just a blip, if they are actually passing the ball a little more than they have in the past, I think he's a guy that could we could see on this list a handful of times this year. Uh, and that would be, you know, he could be a, a sneaky kind of low-end league winner kind of guy that people aren't paying attention to yet. So Sam Pinkney, even though he's a name that I think people know, uh, he's a guy that I definitely am buying in on what he did this week. Other players here on the list, Terrell Vaughn uh, at Utah State, Daniel Jackson at Minnesota, and Eric McAllister at Boise State all had 16 targets, all right around 33 to 35% of their team's total. Uh, Vaughn, very encouraging. And I think Vaughn is a top 10 option for me moving forward when I adjust my rankings for this week. They're going to reflect that. They're just going to pepper him with targets. I mean, this was Iowa. Uh, I thought there was a scenario in which he got five targets this week because the offense just couldn't move, but he that's the toughest defense they're going to play all year. He was great. Go buy Terrell Vaughn if you can, and if you have him already, I think he's a weekly starter. There's there's no other matchup this year that's going to do uh, what what Iowa did against them this weekend. Daniel Jackson and Eric McAllister, I'm unsure of. Um, I guess if you have unlimited waivers, sure, why not take a shot on them if you have some spots at the end of your bench that are worth churning. 
Uh, I really don't know much about McAllister other than he's, uh, I believe this is his second or third year at Boise State. Uh, and I think this was a result of them being down the whole game. They don't want to play from down the whole game. So um, McAllister is a guy that I'm, I'm a little iffy on. D Jackson, he's a talented player. He could be this year's Michael Wilson, I think, actually, because he's a pretty good route runner. Everyone's seen um, that that clip of him this weekend catching that touchdown pass. I, I could see him falling into that bucket. He's, he's, a, he's a solid player. Now, I I'm not advocating buying him today but but good player some other names that i think are noteworthy on this list um two colorado guys make it uh jimmy horn jr and travis hunter i'm not sure that we know enough yet about colorado's offense to project weekly um volume for the receivers and i have a whole section on colorado that i'm going to hit on a little bit later uh, but moral of that story i think they're all xavier weaver weaver hunter horn rosterable and tar i'm targeting them on waivers this week if any of them are hanging out but i'm not sure i'm plugging them into lineups unless i don't have other options moving forward um joshua cephas is on here for my money could end up being the wide receiver one in college fantasy this year just because utsa has nobody else to throw to that became very apparent very quickly i watched that entire game uh versus houston this week uh dante wright from temple hello hello a familiar face from about three or four years ago there at colorado state um temple they didn't score a ton but they kind of picked up where they left off last year in terms of passing volume so i think he's an interesting name um ricky pearsall i don't foresee him getting this kind of target share so i think it's a little bit of fool's gold but i do think as i've said for years i think he's a better player than he gets credit for and then the other last name I want to highlight here, and you can see the rest on the article, um, is Lincoln Victor, who got 14 targets for Washington State. No DT Sheffield this week, so I don't want to I don't want to necessarily predict that that's going to be sticky for Victor week in week out. But slot guy in a run and shoot is very very interesting. So if he's hanging out out there, I think he's worth maybe trying to go get. I just would temper expectations because when if and when Sheffield does come back. They might, it might be some weeks one guy, some weeks the other guy. I honestly don't know. I do think this is a little bit of a bad thing for Sheffield personally, just because now we've seen Victor doing it. So we'll, we'll see there. Pafeli Ashlock's also on this list, but I'm going to talk about him later from Hawaii. So we'll, we'll skip over him uh, for now. But moral of the story, I mean, I think, I, I think I, I, any of these guys that are on this list, I think are worth adding to a roster. I would just not necessarily always expect uh florida for instance or ulm to be passing as much as they did this week with tyrone howell who had 13 targets um so ju just be careful on some of these names but i do think the ones that i mentioned are worth uh adding or targeting in trades this week uh nothing wrong with being a little aggressive on the trade market week one uh people might uh think there's some fool's gold hanging around out there and, and you might be able to get some of these guys uh for cheaper than they should be freshman snap counts item number two uh, Jaden Rashada leads the way here. Played every single snap for Arizona State. Uh, did not look bad. I gave his uh, his opening performance here a B minus. I thought he uh, didn't make any mistakes, which I think is the big thing. I think need to uh, temper expectations a little bit there with a weaker opponent. We'll see what he does once he starts getting into some of the more difficult uh, matchups here for Arizona State. So I'm not. Uh, I'm my opinion one way or the other hasn't really changed on Rashada. But really good to see him uh, out there starting, playing 100% of the snaps, and at least looking comfortable and looking like he belonged with that roster. So, uh, again, good game for him. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he does here when, when they get some tougher, tougher opposition. Kind of tough to tell here in week one. Some other interesting names that I think made this list. Uh, Ruben Owens actually played 59% uh, of the snaps this week for Texas A&M. I think part of that was due to the fact that they were blowing out uh, what New Mexico State. Uh, I, I, I did go back and I've actually watched that game twice because I wanted to see what Noah Thomas looked like. I'm going to talk about him uh, in a few minutes here as well. So I think the Ruben Owens is a little bit of fool's gold, but I do think it's only a matter of time before he firmly works his way into the rotation here, if not outright becomes the one or two. Because um, it didn't really seem like Amari Daniels or uh, Le'Veon Moss was particularly impressive in this game from what I saw. So, um, But Texas A&M did weirdly not run the ball that well. So that, that could be actually be a really interesting development for a and I'm going to be keeping my eyes on that offense. Seemed like they Wegman looked really good and it seemed like they want to pass the ball uh, a bit more than they have uh, in the past under Jimbo there. Uh, Dante Moore. 
if he's not the starter next week for UCLA, then like, what are we even doing here? What, what is even the point of playing, of being a college coach or, 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 you know, playing on a team when you're just clearly starting in an inferior uh, quarterback, just because he's older than the the freshman guy. It, it, Dante Moore was the, the class of the, the, the group. Yes. He threw an interception. He's a, he's a freshman. You're going to have to be okay with taking um, some, some mistakes, but he seems like the kind of guy that's going to learn and adapt and adjust pretty quickly. So he played just under 50% of snaps. I expect to see that number go up significantly over the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. There's some other tough ones. It, it's tough to always take away because they're it, in the nature of week one is there's some blowouts. So um, Mikey Matthews from Utah is one that I want to highlight. Uh, shout out to Noah Green, who was on uh, Campus Life a couple weeks ago and said he was a freshman uh, to watch. Uh, 23 snaps for him out of 54. So 43% total for him. Like he was just running with, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say it was with the ones he was wrote. He was rotating with the ones is maybe what I would classify his, um, his snap share as. So great to see. Uh, and then two other guys here real quick that I think, uh, are, are interesting. Dylan Edwards, uh, or sorry, Dylan, um, uh, yeah, Dylan Edwards at uh, Colorado, uh, just flat out tore it up he's our freshman of the week i don't think that's gone out yet but uh also you're not expecting 135 yards and three touchdowns through the air every single week as a running back um but he played about 40 percent of the team snaps and then lj martin at byu uh played uh the start or close to a starter share of snaps they actually rotated him and aiden robbins martin just got way more work i'm not sure if that why that was because that game which i watched about half of and it was so bad i had to turn it off uh byu sam houston state uh was not like it was a blowout or anything so i I don't know exactly how they decided who was rotating what there um but just just a couple names i wanted to highlight Jaden greathouse uh continued to to get some snaps didn't uh produce a ton but i think him just getting out there is is good um because we we think he can be a cff uh kind of guy for the next couple years some other notables uh, that I did mention in the article. Mark Fletcher got 16 um, snaps for Miami out of their 64. Uh, we had heard that he was working into the rotation. Uh, so we'll see if that uh, continues there for them moving forward. Um, Jonte Cook got into the game and played almost 20 snaps for Texas, had a catch, had another one called back due to a penalty elsewhere. So uh, looked and he looked good. We'll see. It seems like Malik Murphy actually really likes him. So if we get some other games where he and Murphy get in. Murphy seems to look his way, which is nice. I, I'm pretty comfortable with him beating the year one zero stuff. Uh, Carnell Tate, non-blowout, and he played 14 snaps, which is great. And then Eugene Wilson for Florida played 23 out of 71 snaps as well for them. And uh, they used him kind of all over the place, pretty much uh, just as we anticipated there. Uh, number three, volume is king. Just the teams, the top 10 teams that ran the most snaps this week. Uh, an interesting group. And again, one that I think this week might not be super sticky because of opposition, um, because there are some schools that I definitely would not have anticipated being on here. So uh, schools to watch, but interesting. Cal actually, uh, Cal and USF ran the most snaps. USF uh, makes some sense because Alex Golesh, their uh, new head coach, is a was at Tennessee last year and was the OC there. And Tennessee is also on this list. Like it's just an offense that runs uh, kind of that Art Bryles ish uh, traditional kind of old old school Baylor offense that that has many different offshoots now. So um, they they ran a lot. I I that doesn't surprise me. I think that's wheels up for guys like Byron Brown. Cal shocks me quite frankly, and I'm not sure. North Texas is the opposition. We'll see if they can continue to do that moving forward. I, I'm not entirely sure there western michigan another one ran 93 plays this week uh 63 of them rushing um i think you're gonna hear both sides of the argument on that one as to why there some of those running backs especially uh what buckley uh the redshirt freshman can continue i i, I think 93 might be a mirage i'm not necessarily buying that although once you get into mac play uh you know what anything can happen syracuse is on here but they played colgate not taking anything away from that. Uh, Washington State has 87, another, you know, Bryles run and shoot, offshoot. So they able they, that we'll see them on this list a couple times this year. Tennessee, as I said, had 85. Oklahoma had 82. Uh, Jeff Levy, I mean, I, I, I he uh, runs a different kind of offshoot to can you can trace back to the Bryles tree. So 82 plays, but a, a blowout. So maybe won't run that many every week. 
Fresno State on here. I expect them, depending on opposition, uh, to run a lot of plays this year. They looked pretty good. The passing game looked better than I thought. They beat Purdue. I I, I watched that game. I thought it was really, really interesting. So uh, fun offense there. I think we might see them a couple more times. UCF ran 81 plays. They like to run the ball a lot, so I'm not sure we'll see that too many more times this year, but interesting. And then Colorado also ran 81, and I think we'll see them uh, do that at least once or twice more this year, depending on opposition. That's just how they're going to need to play. Uh, Sean Lewis, I, I think, is fine running at that tempo. Some other teams here that are just notable. Uh, SMU ran 79 plays. Ole Miss ran 74. Georgia Southern, 74. Western Kentucky, 73. You know, some of these air raider run-and-shoot type offenses. Um, did what they usually do, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and if you look in the article, I did split out passing and rushing. Um, not not a lot that really stood out to me on the splits in terms of the top teams here. Um, maybe the one that was a little surprising to me, but maybe not, is that Oklahoma actually ran, ran the ball more than they passed. Probably game script dependent. So we'll, we'll see if that continues moving forward, especially with some of their top running backs uh, banged up right now. Um, number four. Oh, and actually I did want to just note real quick that the team that ran the uh, fewest amount of plays, I'll, I'll give you five seconds here. You, you guess along with me here. Yeah. If you guessed Iowa state, that was a good guess. You might've also guessed Iowa. That would not have been a bad guess either, but yeah, Iowa state only ran 45 plays this week. Only 250 yards of total offense, and I think that's what we're going to get out of them for the most part this year. This is an offense that I don't want any pieces of uh, for fantasy purposes. All right, number four, we had some uh, surprise week one quarterback starters. Uh, TJ Finley being the first one, and he's the one that I majorly highlighted in the article. Um, talking, Speaking on uh, waivers for the week, I'm pushing my chips all in. I'm spending up. i probably spend... Depending on league, like if my team is just set at quarterback, I've got I, I go five legitimate starters deep. I left 200 points on the bench at quarterback this week or whatever. Maybe a TJ Finley's not a priority, but he has a couple of years of eligibility left. He's in this GJ Kinney offense. And like this isn't a case of they just went and beat up on the little sisters of the poor Western State University. They play Baylor and they beat Baylor pretty handedly this week. Probably one of the tougher defenses they're going to play this year. Uh, and Finley was very, very productive doing it through for almost 300 yards, three passing touchdowns. He had a rushing touchdown as well. I'd actually expect to see that rushing production tick up a little bit uh, against some weaker opponents where maybe he can get away with it. So, uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, people were really, really high on Malik Hornsby. I think just be high on Finley. Uh, and, you know, with, with one of the tougher opponents out of the way, I don't have a lot of doubts moving forward. I think you can grow in this G.J. Kenny offense. So if it isn't a redraft type format that you're playing, uh, you know, C2C is what I generally am speaking on when I'm talking here, unless I say otherwise, he has a couple years left. So I think he can get even better in this offense. So love, love, love uh, Finley here. He's available in a surprising amount of my leagues. And so I'm, I'm making some moves. If I, if I, if I don't, if I'm not super solid at quarterback, I'm probably going to go spend a decent amount on him. And I have some deeper leagues where I really desperately need quarterback. And in those, I'm willing to spend up to 80% on them, just straight up. That That's where we're going to go here. Second on the list, Byron Brown. This one, I don't know that it was necessarily surprising. I think it was always considered a 50-50 type proposition. But Golesh and those guys got him ready. They let him do what he can do. He threw, uh, he, he ran for 166 yards and two touchdowns, or 135 yards and two touchdowns. I got my numbers wrong here. Uh, but threw for, for 160-something as well. So... Uh, a good day for him. Didn't really make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I think USF is building something really nice there. Uh, Byron Brown has several years of eligibility. And you want to talk about an offense that will take quarterbacks with that, that don't have prior uh, reputation of, of being good passers. You want to go look at Tennessee the past couple of years where Golesh came from. They took Hendon Hooker in, who did not have that reputation coming in. And then now they're doing it with Joe Milton, who definitely did not have that have that reputation coming in. So I think Brown, it's, I think it's only going to get better for him as a passer. He's never going to be a stud through the air. He doesn't need to be. That's the beauty of some of these rushing quarterbacks. So really interesting guy. Another guy that if he's on waivers, I'd go spend a fair amount on. The other guy that I want to talk about is Ashton Daniels. And this one was the most surprising because we 
we here at C2C really pride ourselves as a collective. Like I can't read every article. Uh, Colin can't read every article. Nate Marquise can't read every article. Jared can't read every article. But I think between the 30 or so of us, we probably read 80 to 85% at least of the useful information floating around out there. And we somehow completely missed the fact that Ashton Daniels was even involved in this battle. It sounded like it was Patu and Lampson for a long time, and then sounded like it was probably Lampson. So this came out of nowhere. This shocked me. Ashton Daniels, when I went and dug into him a little bit after I watched this game, he played at Buford in Georgia. So this also isn't a kid that played for – he's not like Cam Ward who played for a school that threw like 50 passes in four years while he was there. This is a guy that played at Buford. Like that's where a ton of these guys uh, come out of Buford. And I believe it's where Dylan Rayol was playing this year, I think, uh, transferred in there to to be closer to Georgia as he gets ready for the next season. But they produced tons of four or five-star guys. They produce NFL talent. And somehow this guy, we had, were not on, was not on our radar at all. He came out last year, so this is his second year uh, in college. He looked sharp. I'm not going to make any sort of large-scale determinations on him as a player after this one game, but I do think uh, he's got some legs. He ran for almost 50 yards. He completed almost 70% of his passes. We know that Troy Taylor, Stanford's head coach in the past, has deployed dual-threat kind of guys and They've been very successful, especially for fantasy purposes. Uh, I mean, he took Asher O'Hara, who stunk at Middle Tennessee, and turned him, granted, at the FCS level into essentially a star. So I think that's a really interesting name to watch. I may be trying to sprinkle him in as an ad some places this week. Uh, if, I have, if I'm in a league that has like four waiver ads throughout the year, he's probably not a target of mine. If I've got more than eight or like one a week or something like that, um, maybe I'm targeting depending on depth of league, who's available. Um, you know, maybe I put in a big bid for Finley and if someone else spends me, then I've got a smaller bid on Daniel sitting there that goes through, you know, some, something like that. Um, but I think he's really, really interesting attached to this offense, which I think the offense is maybe a year or two away from being built to what Troy Taylor wants, but he's a redshirt freshman. So he's got time and, Again, not to make any overarching determinations on the kid, but I, I didn't watch him and see like, you know, future NFL star. I don't know that he's going to leave early, essentially. So we've got a couple years of him left. So watch list and then maybe, you know, depending on strategy, you, you put in a small bid behind a guy like TJ Finley or, or some of the receivers that are out here this week or, or something like that. The other name that I do want to mention that I, I just put as an honorable mention in the article, but I've been a, I've been kind of high on him for a few months now. It's Kate on Salter at Liberty. So I went on Campus Life, I think, at the beginning of our conference previews and said that I thought Salter was a guy that was going to help his stock the most this year, I think. I think. I talked about him recently. He's a guy that I really, really like this year. And then uh, after the episode came out, our CFF team was like, uh, yeah, you, you know that he's not even projected to start. It's probably going to be Jonathan Bennett, right? And I was like, damn. But he got the the work this week. Looked pretty good. Um he, we know what he can do with his legs, and he ran for, what, 80 to 90 yards uh, uh, on the ground there. Uh, the passing was okay. It wasn't amazing. And Bowling Green, obviously not uh, terribly difficult opposition. But this is another case of a young guy who I think has all the tools and uh, can grow with an offensive mind that is that has a history of developing some of these guys. I'm going to talk about Jamie Chadwell with Grayson McCall at uh, Coastal Carolina the past couple years. I'm not saying that Salter is going to put up a top five most efficient college passing season of all time, but I do think there's room for growth here. And I think if there is that room for growth, Liberty plays like just literally just the total crap schedule. Um, so there's, you can, you can probably, if he's healthy, feel comfortable playing him a lot of weeks at worst, have him as like your QB four buy and fill fill bi-week filling guy if you've got Caleb Williams and, and John Reese Plumley or something. But I think he's a good player. And I think he's a sneaky guy in waivers this week because he didn't blow anything out of the water. So he's not going to be on a lot of radars. So I if you have uh you know more again, not not four waivers and maybe not even eight waivers, but if you're in an unlimited waivers league, I am absolutely one thousand percent putting in a bid for Kate on Salter. My must-have waiver ads of the week, number five here. I'm so I I do want to offer a little words of some words of advice here. Week one, 
I'm I'm what I call selectively aggressive in the waiver market because I see every year some of these guys, the week one's just a total mirage and they they don't they do basically nothing the rest of the week and you've spent sixty to eighty percent of your budget on a, a, a just you know a lemon. And now you've got to try to figure out how to attack waivers the rest of the year with no budget and the guy that you did spend all your money on stinking. Um so I think you need to be a little selective looking at volume, looking at team opportunity and team volume and kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen here. Who's who's who I think is translatable moving forward. My, my number one QB is TJ Finley, who I mentioned earlier, I said, I'd spend up to 60% and in deeper leagues, maybe closer to 80%. If there's not a lot of QB activity or guys left on the wire to choose from at wide receiver, I think my number one actual waiver wire out of the week, uh, regardless of position is Pafeli Ashlock at Hawaii. And I said last week on campus life, that he was my second favorite of the group. Yeah, I changed my mind. He, he's he's top guy here, I think. He's slot guy, run and shoot offense. They're going to throw the ball between 35 and 50 times per game. And he's going to be one of the major beneficiaries. And the nice thing about that offense is that it's not like Ohio State's offense, that like it's all these long developing plays. Like Even if they're playing a team that's dominating them on the line of scrimmage, He's the slide. He's running, you know, an eight yard out of slant, like a little hitch. Like he's not running anything crazy um, in terms of route concept. Like he's he's near the line of scrimmage. He's open and he gets looks in the red zone, too. I think this is a guy that we could see get 120 to 150 targets this year. I think he can be a top 10 CFF wide receiver this year. Like that's the kind of volume that we're talking about with this kid. And I think I am 100 percent buying him this week. So I'm, I'm spending I wrote 40 to 60% of my budget in the article. Um, that feels right to me. I don't know that I want to go much higher than that because there is obviously a chance that he bottoms out a deeper league that doesn't have a lot of options. Again, kind of like Finley, maybe I'm going up to closer to 75, 80%. I just don't want to get burned. But I, I do think that Hawaii uh, will be more consistent this year than they were last year offensively. Uh, Salter, I mentioned Probably not more than 5% of a budget, but I think you can get him for that cheap anyway. A um, couple other names that I, I think are really, really interesting this week. Noah Thomas, actually, the wide receiver at Texas A&M, is a guy that I'm keeping my eyes on. He caught three touchdowns this week. Um, so I think there's going to be some debate as to whether that's fool's gold or whether he's a guy that can be productive every single week. I think that he's basically the boundary guy for them. Like, I think he's kind of the foil to Evan Stewart and then all the little guys that they have that run around the line of scrimmage. He didn't look amazing as a route runner, but he didn't look lost either. Um, from what I could watch on the broadcast view as I, I went back and watched a second time. So uh, overall, a guy that I think is really, really interesting. I think you can spend a very low amount of budget. So again, if this is a week where you, maybe some of these top options aren't available, you know, Finley, somebody stashed him earlier and maybe somebody grabbed Ashlock after week zero. And so there's not a lot of these uh, obvious go get them kind of guys. I might put in a very small bid for, for Thomas and see if you can sneak him through. Cause I'd bet in most leagues, he's probably not rostered. I'm assuming, I'm assuming. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, check, check your league and see what's going on there. Um, the other guy, two other guys that I'm, I'm looking to pick up on waivers here this week. The first one is Eric Brooks, who's at Fresno state. And I saw that, uh, PJ with us tweeted out yesterday that, that he thinks that Jalen Gill is the guy to get here. And here's why I disagree with that. I think Jalen Gill can do one thing and that's catching your line and run after catch. I think Eric Brooks can do in this offense a little bit of everything. He caught bombs. He worked close to the line of scrimmage. They tried to get him in space. They tried to scheme him open. He got, I believe, uh, 13 targets this weekend, 11 to 13, so, so somewhere in that range. Uh, ended up having a couple of touchdowns and was really had like 170 yards receiving, was really explosive. He's a guy that I think, again, you can sneak through for very cheap on waivers this week. And I think he's very, very interesting moving forward. The other one is uh, Dion Burks, who was on the opposite side of that game uh, for Purdue. I thought this off, the, I thought TJ Sheffield might be the wide receiver one of this offense, especially because they sent him to media days as like their representative. So apparently, my, my, 
intended sleuthing didn't exactly work there. But um, Burks is a guy that he's big, he's really athletic, and offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. I know West Virginia was a bust for him. Okay. And, you know, he had to, he was essentially fired at USC, but that's, you know, kind of a different animal than Purdue. I, he has some history of producing good wide receiver seasons. So Brooks is another guy that I think you can spend five to 10% or less of your budget and sneak him through on waivers this week. If you uh, have a larger amount of waivers open to you. And I think he, I, this, he could be a thousand yard guy this year. He could because Graham Harrell has, has done that. And he tends to, he's worked with all body types, but a lot of the guys that he's had do well uh, have tended to be bigger guys. So, uh, and Hudson card is competent. I, and I think they want to throw the ball quite a bit. So all those things together, I think those are kind of some, some interesting names that I'm giving to you guys, not giving to anybody else um, that I would recommend taking a look at this week on waivers. If they're available for you, some injuries to monitor. I didn't have a ton this week. I think the only real surprise guy that didn't even play was Sam Wigless. And I have not been able to find anything. So I can't even offer more information there. I don't know if they were just resting him because of who the opponent was and because Rourke wasn't playing. They, you know, they just said this is a good week to, to kind of rest him and, and maybe he has like a, you know, a banged up ankle or uh, maybe slightly tweaked his quad or, or something like that. But uh, shocked me. Didn't realize he wasn't going to play. Uh, Rourke, I think he'll be back. I think he'll be back. I think this was – he probably could have played if they needed him. Um, but uh, – and it sounds like he will be back fairly soon. So um, Rourke and Wigless, I'm not worried about long-term at all. Malachi Corley, uh, I wrote up a whole thing on him and then he just tweeted out last night that he's fine. So um, don't have to speculate. That's good. Sounds like bruised ribs. Does he play next week? I don't know. Uh, maybe we see him sit one more week, um, but uh, he should be back. It isn't, you know, a, a season ender as maybe some people thought when he got carted off uh, the field. Uh, Dalvin Smith was the guy that stepped in for him, by the way, when he was gone, he had himself a really nice week. So Dalvin Smith is a must start, uh, next week, uh, if Corley's out and quite, I think even if he plays, but I think especially if Corley's out, uh, Dalvin turns into a, a must start kind of guy there. There's a couple other names to highlight. Antoine Wells really didn't do anything against UNC, even though Shane Beamer said that he was going to, um, I'm not sure if he'll play next week. They have Furman. So uh, him and, and, and Nick Harbour might sit out next week to kind of get that extra week of, of healing up. Xavier Leggett was the guy that kind of stepped in with those guys absent. I'm not adding Leggett this week um, unless it's just like a 40-team, 50-man roster, kind of like just stupidly deep league, essentially. Uh, Texas running back Cedric Baxter looked awesome and then got injured on a really great carry uh, tackled on the sidelines, but it sounds like it was maybe a rib or something injury. It's, they, they called it upper body. I haven't seen them be more specific. Sark um, wouldn't give any, any more information, but it sounds like he'll be a practice this week. So that's uh, good news because they have Alabama here coming up. And then Sam Jackson, the Cal QB, uh, left their game against North Texas. Um, their head coach said, uh, wouldn't really give any information after the game, but it doesn't sound like they expect him out long-term. So, um, you know, something to monitor there. Um, I'm hoping that you weren't counting on starting Sam Jackson moving forward anyway, more of a depth quarterback for you. Um, so might, might be without him for a few weeks. What to do with USC? Uh, Lincoln Riley just freaking rotating these guys around. Um, tough to get a feel for it. I equated it in my article this week to if anybody is familiar with the, the, the Premier League, that Pep Guardiola, who is Manchester City's manager, always has like two or three guys at every single position and every single week switches them all around and you're left wondering why he did what he did. Um, and if you play fantasy version of that, uh, it definitely hurts there as well. We call it Pep's rotation roulette. We're calling it Lincoln Riley's rotation roulette here early this year for USC two. All of their receivers essentially have between 22 and 43 pass snaps this year, which is just ridiculous uh, to see that close of bunching. And that's like, nine players take out okay we can take out like lake mccree he's a tight end it's eight players um mario williams surprisingly has been the, the leader in terms of uh snaps played he hasn't necessarily parlayed it into a ton of production but i do find that interesting uh dorian singer next with 37 brendan rice up there with 35 and i do think nominally those are the starters 
So I, I do think if you're looking at it through that lens and maybe when the competition gets a little bit tougher, that those are probably your guys. But I do think we'll continue to see, no matter what, a healthy amount of Zachariah Branch, of Taj Washington, and quite frankly, Makai Lemon. I think I think he's been good enough to get in there as well. Deuce Robinson might be uh, situational as well because he's been pretty explosive, especially downfield there for them this year. Um, I think this is going to be really difficult to project weekly production for the season. And I did say that before the season began, that this could be a group that nobody has more than 800, 850 yards receiving, but a bunch of them have between 500 and 800. Uh, and I still think that could be the case because I think Caleb Williams is good enough where he's not locking in on one guy like we get in some of these weaker offenses. So moral of the story, I think uh, I think Williams, Singer, Rice are the starters, but I think the other guys are good enough to take snaps away, even in some more difficult matchups. And I do think overall – I'm fading Singer to a point where I'm no longer considering him a weekly startable player. And I, that we suspect that this could happen, um, but it sounds like he, he just hasn't uh, looked better than any of the other guys there, quite frankly. And I think that should have been a concern with him coming over from Arizona, um, where, you know, a lot less competition, a lot less pressure to be that level of a player, the running backs. I think I have a good feel on the rotation. I think it's Marshawn Lloyd one, Austin Jones two, and Quentin Joyner, the freshman three. So in that order, I do think those other guys are interesting because Lloyd doesn't tend to always play all the games every year. So um, a moral of the story, I think you there are some weeks where we might get a, a Jones or Joyner start, uh, both for USC and and for fantasy in the future. Item number eight. Quinn Ewers and Quinn, or yeah, Quinn Ewers and Kyle McCord. And as I called in the article, the curious case of highly touted quarterbacks doing just enough. I think this is an interesting discussion piece um, that I'm going to try to keep short. I think I'm starting to come around to the, a not necessarily a hard and fast rule, but a, a pretty hard rule that, um, that basically if a quarterback, if we don't think that they're, if we haven't seen actually seen enough for us to think that they are a Debbie, a religious Debbie asset going into their third year, and it's just more projection at that point, those are probably players that I think are sells and or not drafts in the offseason. And I think overall, I've probably drafted that way over the past couple of years. I had two startups this year, for instance, and was not tempted by Ewers or McCord at all at their respective ADPs, which were, you know, late first and mid third ish is, is where I, I tend to see those guys go. Because I think if you haven't kind of solidified yourself by that point, it's difficult. And yes, people are going to say, you know, Joe Burrow, some of these other guys, but, um, you know, I don't think anybody projected what Joe Burrow did, quite frankly. And you weren't spending a lot to get Joe Burrow going into his final year, which is kind of the point here with some of these guys. I'm fine spending up on cheaper versions of them, but I'm not going to spend a top, top pick or, or top trade capital to get one of these two guys. And I think, I watched both of these games. Uh, Ewers. So it's actually funny because I think when I've watched him and I think just, just straight up statistically, he's not been amazing throwing the deep ball over the past two years. And this is part of why I kind of am always really skeptical of PFF grades. PFF has him graded amazingly throwing deep over the past two years. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just an idiot, but he hasn't been super accurate and, 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 you know, effective throwing the ball deep. He wasn't in this one either. He had two that I counted that he missed deep that I thought that he should have had one uh, down the sidelines where he pushed the receiver just a little too, probably about a yard out of bounds when he, he had that over the outside shoulder. And then another one uh, deep down the seam that he missed. Uh, there was a third one that was some miscommunication kind of on the left side of the field, almost toward the left hash. Uh, but it seemed like the receiver was expecting I couldn't tell if the receiver was just expecting a nine and he wanted to throw a post. Like I couldn't tell exactly what the miscommunication was there, but neither of the, the, the ball landed close to nobody. So it wasn't, it wasn't harmful by any stretch. Um, but I think it was, it was kind of the same issues. Now where I will say that I thought he looked really good is if you, if, if you put Quinn Ewers in an offense that just says three stop, three step drop, read one, read two, he's really good. Um, he's, I, he looked quite quite sharp, and the touchdown that he threw the, to uh, JT Sanders this weekend, I think, showed that where he he saw the mismatch. I don't even know if he completed a three step drop. He went, it might have been two steps. He just went boom boom, get the ball out, and gave Sanders a ton of time to run wide open downfield touchdown. I think that's where Ewers is at his best, and I do think they have the receiving options to do that. 
Worthy's really the only guy that I would call more of a deep threat. And even he can do a lot of stuff around the line of scrimmage. So I think this is good for Texas. I think they can kind of retool the offense to accommodate for that and still be very uh, dangerous with the weapons that they have. But for his NFL future, I think it's a little concerning. I, I'm not, I, I think I'm shifting him to a sell. I think you can still get something for him, especially because he had a good fantasy week this week. Ten, what The advice I tend to give people for quarterbacks is I tend to silo the quarterback position, essentially. For anybody who didn't hear me talk about this on Debbie Debate this week. If you've got a really good quarterback and you want to trade him, I say, okay, trade down to a lesser quarterback and another piece. If you've got a lower quarterback and you want to trade, you trade him up into a better quarterback. So for a guy like yours over the past couple of years, if you wanted to trade him, especially for a college, good college quarterback, I say you always trade those guys up into the NFL. So I would have traded him up to the NFL for – Plus, you know, a, a good a good Debbie receiver for a, a starting a good starting NFL quarterback is essentially what have been my advice. We're getting to the point with yours where I don't know how many weeks you have left to do that. So I still would try the silo approach, but if it does not work, I would shift him into another Debbie piece. I don't know if you can shift him into an NFL uh, wide receiver or or something. I'm not sure that what you would get in return. Like, would you get more than Christian Kirk or something like that? I don't really know. If I could trade him for a good NFL wide receiver, I would. Um, wide receiver would be the next direction I go just because they, you know, the longevity, I, I probably don't want to trade for a running back. Cause I think the ones you'd get are either not very good or toward the end of their life, uh, in terms of, uh, realistic fantasy upside, let's see what you can get. But those are the kind of deals that I'd be looking to make with viewers. Uh, on the other hand, Kyle McCord, we've talked about the last couple of Ohio state quarterbacks have had a reputation of not being very good processors. And there might be something to that, but there also just might be the nature of what Ryan day's system asks out of that position. Um, well, Kyle McCord's a slower processor than any of the two guys that have been, that have come before him. I just flat out hundred percent. I've seen enough now to know that for sure. He's late on everything. Very, very late on everything. Um, but I still think they can make it work at Ohio state with him. I think they just need to simplify the reads I think uh, weirdly when they were asking him to hit the middle of the field, he was great. So I think, you know, not the short stuff because he was missing late on that, but kind of deeper stuff where it's kind of hard to be late. Uh, he was doing well with that. So I I don't, I, he's a hold because you can't get anything for him. I mean, if you can sell him for, for, for a good price, I would, but I think he's more of a hold. You're hoping that he either bounces back or transfers down and then looks pretty good somewhere else. Th that would be my hope for Kyle McCord at this point. I'm not, I'm not thinking he's going to be anywhere close to a first round NFL draft pick. Um, so, and I, I've actually shifted both yours and um, uh, McCord down in my rankings after one week. Yes, I know. I, I don't usually do one week sample sizes, but I've moved them both down to like the, the mid late teens um, there. And I think, over the next couple of weeks, you might see both of them drop a little bit more there, but we shall see. The moment you've all been waiting for, Colorado discussion. Um, and this is really this is really the last big thing. And then uh, one more small topic here. We'll get you out of here. I think my stance on Colorado was pretty clear for 2023. I think it's been pretty clear for a couple of weeks now. And I was saying, I don't love these guys for Debbie, but I think that Sean Lewis's volume in that offense is going to be enough that it doesn't matter. They're just going to pass the ball a ton. Usually two wide receivers can get enough of the volume with him to, to make them worthwhile. The problem was they really had three guys that I thought were good enough to fill those roles. So I didn't feel great projecting. I'd said, I thought I preferred Jimmy Horn because he can play a lot around the line of scrimmage. And if that line doesn't hold up, which I didn't think they would, he'd be getting a lot of dump offs and stuff. And that is how he operated this, this week, basically short stuff while Weaver and Hunter went deeper. Um, it turns out it didn't really matter. All of them were were super productive. Uh, obviously, Shador passed for over 500 yards. Uh, even Dylan Edwards had 135 yards uh, receiving. So, um, in I don't know that I'm adjusting my thoughts that far beyond what I had previously. I still think I don't weekly. I don't know who the guys are going to be. They're not going to throw for 500 yards every week. So. Um, I, I think I would be comfortable next week, maybe starting Jimmy Horn or Weaver, um, depending on what my starting lineup looks like, if I maybe need another guy to slot in. But I'm not doing it if I don't have to, because I do want to see another week. And I do think, not to be a hater, which I am known as maybe the biggest hater at Campus to Canton, I think there's a scenario here in which we realize after week four that TCU is actually really bad. 
and that this and that Colorado Colorado kind of gets a little ahead of their skis here and ends up not doing particularly well in the next couple of games. I think they'll be Colorado State, which I think that was always a game that we'd circled as like potentially probably a win for them. Um, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they beat Nebraska this week, quite frankly. I, I don't. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I think they're a little more stout defensively uh, and have a little more team speed there than TCU did. So tangent, side note there. The other, I think, big takeaway here is that I think you just, people just want to know, like, well, what do I do with Shadur? Because I had said all offseason, I thought he was like a, a third-round kind of prospect. Um, first first half of this game was not that impressed. I, Donovan Smith played similarly in the first half of the Houston game, like just straight up. They didn't run as many plays, but it, he did not play significantly worse than Shadur Sanders did. And I got told off by somebody on Twitter who I, you know, has a lot of followers, and so then I got – bombarded with some messages um but it was true he was just thinking and dunking and that's great i mean you got to be in command of an offense i'm not saying he sucks i'm just it, it is what it was what it was in the first half they opened it up more in the second half and he looked fantastic completed a bunch of passes deep uh, i thought he was consistently making the correct reads i thought uh i thought he looked good i don't know i mean I, he, he threw with good touch i think we always thought he could throw with good touch so i think the things that i still have questions about He's not athletic, like at all, which is shocking coming from Dion's kid. Is Dion's wife not athletic at all? Because this dude is not an athlete. Um, I don't know where those genetics came from. Uh, he looks slow, like really, really slow at times. So I am a little curious about him outside of structure, which he didn't have to do a lot this weekend because TCU did not do a good job of, of making him uncomfortable. Yeah, they sacked him a couple times, and I think his lack of pocket presence at times showed, but they didn't do enough of that. Um, so I am interested to see uh, uh, what th that particular point. And then I think just consistently being able to work the ball downfield. He looked good in this one. Um, Want to see him do it for a couple more games because he has not consistently done it in the past. Um, so that, that's basically my takeaways there. I think I'm spending, as I mentioned in the article, maybe 20% of my FOB total on Horner Weaver if they're out there. If Hunter's out there, yeah, spend up 60% or so. Still, still a little worried that he ends up being a DB because he was – pretty freaking awesome as a, as a corner, including that interception uh, this week. Uh, and then the final note on Colorado, they can't run the ball at all. Pass protection was great. Run blocking was awful. So uh, maybe that changes when Alton McCaskill comes back. He did not play in this one, um, but uh, remains to be seen. Final, final item here. I just wanted to real quick touch on this LSU and Florida State game from uh, last night, which I thought was awesome. It was a great game. One of the best. It was the best game of the week. It's just the the speed of play was just next level compared to anything else we saw. And that's what happens when you've got, I don't know, 25, 30 future NFL guys, at least on, on the field at any given time. Um, I thought the Jordan Travis versus Jaden Daniels battle was really, really interesting. We'll probably talk about this more on Campus Life this week. Um, Daniels failed the test. Travis passed it to a certain degree, but I still don't think he's really close to an NFL guy, or at least like a, a you know, a, a, a fantasy NFL guy. Uh, Daniel's just questionable decision-making at times um, that the, the, the jump over the pile um, accuracy was a little spotty. So I think Daniel's is what he is at this point. I think we all know what Daniel's is. Um, I, I, I think they're better off with Nussmeyer, but they disagree, so that's fine. Uh, Travis, I actually thought, was pretty good. I mean, the stats are awesome, 342 yards, four touchdowns, the one interception. Uh, he also added uh, 38 yards rushing in a TD, but he didn't look like he wanted to rush, and I don't think they want him to rush um, because I don't think they're happy with what they have behind him for now. So um, at least like if they needed him to start today, I don't, I don't think they're happy with it. So uh, I think that will cap his rushing upside. I don't know. I thought I think his performance in this game has been slightly overblown. Um, there were definitely some some uh, really in the first half. I, I I did not think he played a great game, but kudos to him for coming out in the second half, uh, bouncing back uh, and and quite frankly taking it to LSU. I think the thing that he does really well that they've built this team they they've specifically built this team around him to kind of have some of these guys that are really freaking good at the catch point downfield. You've got Coleman and uh, Wilson that can both do that, and Coleman was the guy that they look like they're going to use more downfield this year and maybe use Wilson more in a possession role, which I think is bad for Wilson, but great for Coleman who had nine catches, 122 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Coleman's he, I bumped him up a couple spots in my rankings this week, him and a guy like Adonai Mitchell, I think are, are really, really interesting. Cause I think they're, 
uh, semi-interchangeable uh, in terms of my opinion of them at any given time. And I think they play very similarly. So I, I think the one play that really impressed me on Coleman, because I think regardless, you know, the 40-yard jump and catch, it's a good play, like good body control. Like, don't get me wrong. It, it works in the NFL and stuff. But I think we already kind of knew he can do that. And I think there's capped upside on that at the NFL because it doesn't work quite as much as it can in college where these guys can just bully smaller players. So that was a good play. But I really liked that long touchdown that he had in the first quarter, first half. Uh, where he kind of sidestepped that defender, made a guy miss, and then took it 45 yards to the house. Looked very explosive, looked fluid. So uh, loved that. Two guys that I thought disappointed in this game, Trey Benson, uh, 12 for 47 on the ground. I believe he did have a catch for seven yards as well. Um, I think this this game kind of show, highlighted some of Benson's it, it, vision issues is really what I think Benson's issue is. We talked about Javante Williams kind of had some vision issues, and that's why he had so many missed tackles forced because he was just running into guys that – he shouldn't have been Benson, I think has a similar issue, but I think it's a lot worse. So I think last night kind of showed that where guys like Toa Feely um, were, were navigating the line of scrimmage a lot better than he was at times. Although when you get him in the open field, he's a savage, like just straight up. I would not want to try to tackle that dude in the open field. Um, it, he, he would just break me. Um, and then Malik neighbors. I think he had an underwhelming game. I think his ceiling is like Robert Woods. He struggles to get open at times. I think you almost have to work to get him open a little bit. Um, because I don't think FSU has like amazing DBs personally. They 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 did not look great last night, um, especially tackling. And Malik Neighbors just couldn't do anything anyway. So um isn't like amazingly dynamic after the catch. Like I think these guys just kind of can sometimes gets open and when he's open, you hit him and he he's like a possession almost kind of guy. Um I don't know. I don't know where he lines up in the NFL when he gets there. I think he's a very firm sell. I've been on this for, for months. And I think this weekend confirmed it for me. I'm selling Malik neighbors. I think you can get a lot for him straight up. I think you can, I, I would trade him off to an NFL piece. I wouldn't trade him. I, I trade up, trade up to the NFL or a guy that's older, trade down as trade to a younger guy or a guy. If it's an NFL guy, a guy in college guys like neighbors that are about to enter the NFL, there's no reason to trade them down because you've got a winning lottery ticket. Like for this stage of, of the lottery, it trade him up into the NFL and make him somebody else's problem. Maybe you're lowering your ceiling a little bit, but I think it ends up working out more often than not when you trade up into the NFL. So those are my thoughts on week one, guys. Let us know. Let 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 me know what you think of the show, what things you'd like to hear moving forward. Certainly happy to play around with this, but this is going to be out weekly here on the collective podcast feed. Make sure you're listening to the other great episodes that are coming out on here. Nelly, Matt Waldman, those guys need no introduction. They're both great. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Enjoy your Labor Day, your, your holiday extended weekend here. I'll see you here next week.